On this episode of AV Week, Zoom goes public and makes $750 million in one day. What does that put them in the UC space? Going green with AV and whether customers care or not, and creating a succession plan. All that and more, next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 400, recorded Friday, April 26th, 2019. Crushing it. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Sure, Sound Extraordinary, and by Kramer, AV Beyond the Box, and by Christy Digital. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. With us to discuss the news and information we have got this week, first and foremost, an old, an old friend that I haven't had on for a very long time. His name is Tom LeBlanc from Commercial Integrator. Welcome, sir. Hey, thanks to be here. Uh, or I should say, nice to be here, Tim. Well, thank you so so much for joining us, sir. I appreciate it. Uh, also with us uh, is Ed Chaudhry. Uh, Ed is from Avenue. Welcome, sir. I'm thankful to be here. Uh, <laughs> if it's working. Yes, indeed. All right. Uh, last but not least, uh, Adrian Doty uh, from uh, Nureva. Welcome, sir. Thank you, sir. Good to be back. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, before we get started, uh, we've, we've, our, our team here at AV Nation uh, has done all the work, and they've revamped our newsletter. So if you haven't been a, a, a subscriber to it or you have and you thought it was cruddy, like I thought it was cruddy, uh, go ahead and resubscribe to it because they did a really good job of, of redoing it. Uh, first story up today comes to us from AV Magazine. Zoom launched its IPO uh, about a week or so ago. Uh, IPO was initial public offering. Uh, it was happened last Wednesday. The company is listed on the NASDAQ stock exchange. It started at $36 uh, a share US dollars and rose 81% uh, closing the day uh, at, 65%, uh, at $65 per share. Just checked it a few minutes ago before we started recording with $68. Zoom raised $751 million that day. That's a very good day. Uh, Eric Wan, uh, the CEO of, and, and founder of, of Zoom, said, quote, unquote, the price is too high and is putting pressure on the company. Now, Zoom has, has evolved from a soft codec video conferencing solution to be, a, honestly, a, a force in the UC space. Tom, I'm going to start with you on this. Uh, what are you hearing or what do you, what do you think, based on, on you watching Zoom grow for the last eight years, what are they going to do with $750 million? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, I, one thing we know about Zoom is that they're really smart about building their brand and, you know, kind of establishing brand awareness. Um, you know, think about, you know, a few years ago when a lot of us were starting out in the, the, this, you know, integration market. And, you know, we were, think about what video conferencing was at that time. And, you know, it was, it was that thing that was really hard to uh, afford and envision in a lot of meeting spaces. There were only limited meeting spaces in which you would really imagine that scenario. And then, you know, people started referring to it as Skyping, you know, which was kind of interesting. It became like this, this thing where it was kind of crossing into the consumer realm. And then Zoom steps in and really just kind of, you know, hammers the product category and you know in terms of how they've built up their their marketing presence and their brand awareness it's amazing so we know that you know we know that if given the 
the fuel. Um, Zoom knows how to build a brand and knows how to do outreach to partner companies. And I think a big thing that they'll do with that money is that, you know, they'll, they'll reach out to a lot of partners to really, you know, take the extra steps to, to sow those, um, those relationships. And I mean, it's going to be really interesting to watch. It's funny, you know, like the, the, the price of the stock, you know, I think everybody is um, surprised at, you know, how quickly it, it rose. Um, that's, that's kind of an interesting uh, trend for the company because, you know, when you make that transition to being a public company, suddenly there are different things to worry about. You're not just worried about building your brand and improving your products and, you know, making sure that the folks within your organization know that the direction that you want to take the company. Now you're worried about a bunch of people that don't necessarily work within the organization and where they see the company growing. And that can be a little bit intimidating. Absolutely. And we should mention the fact that I, I, I mean, that they, they jumped to that $60 range within the first day, by the end of the first day, they stayed there for the last week. Right. So certain investors, you know, to, to, to Mr. Wan's point, they have, they're, they're, they're seeing this as a potential uh, growth uh, stock. They're seeing it as a good investment. That's why it's stated at the $60 range. Uh, but Eric says, you know, the CEO says that that puts pressure. And I think Tom's right. Because uh, different people who aren't within the organization are, are maybe seeing, uh, you know, different value uh, for whether it's acquisition or, or you know, a growth, uh, growth trajectory. It makes you kind of wonder, you know, is, is this a, a reaction to somebody who's not accustomed to that, you know, public trading world? And I don't think so. I mean, I think this guy is a heck of a lot smarter than, you know, than, <laughs> than I can even relate to. So I don't think it's a gut reaction. I think he actually feels a little bit nervous about this new outside pressure that's going to be, you know, put on what once was a really smart, organically growing brand. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and one thing I, we've, we've, you know, I've learned, and, and Tom, you've learned by, by covering all these companies, there is a vast difference between the growth of a publicly traded company and a privately held one, right? Publicly traded companies, people want to see growth, and you grow through either acquis you know, mergers and acquisitions or, or through customer growth. And they've done a really good job with the customer growth. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see where the stockholders uh, kind of uh, ask Eric to, to go with this. Um, Adrian, a question for you here is, is Zoom has become the, the dominant force in soft codecs. Uh, I want to say it was a Gartner, uh, uh, Gartner report, said that they had something like 40% of the market share. But there's 250 other, roughly, uh, 250 other soft codecs on the market. Where does this put them? So uh, from my perspective, right, because we make uh, an audio hardware that integrates with those soft codecs, I probably have touched all 249 of those other ones over the last week. Uh, but I touched Zoom more often than any of the other ones. And I think it puts them in a really interesting spot. I, I don't think he's worried about it. And by that, I mean, Mr. Yuan, um, because he exhibits the same sort of characteristics that the rest of his people do, right? Every interaction we have with Zoom is universally positive and nice. And I think that they're going to carry that forward. I think that being a market leader is going to present them with some interesting challenges, right? It, just from an acquisition space, who, who would they buy? What, how would they diversify that business, right? They're already crushing everybody else. Uh, so I think from, from where they will, where they are to where they will end up is, is really just green field. And I think that's really feeding why people are holding that stock. No one sees them slowing down. No one sees this as uh, them having to change their culture or start reporting quarterly. 
Um, Ed, uh, Adrian mentioned the fact that, that they are significantly a market leader. They're also doing, they've been doing some interesting things when it comes to the UC space and integration. Um, they are working with partners and working with integrators and bringing, you know, complete quote unquote Zoom rooms, uh, Zoom solutions to uh, the integration channel. Where does this put Zoom now, uh, not just with the $750 million uh, influx, but also as obviously a market leader and a publicly traded company now, where does this put them in the UC and the, and the AV space? Well, in the collaborations and AV space, I believe that now they're, uh, with, with the funding that they have, they have a lot more uh, pull and influence to partner with uh, uh, manufacturers in the industry that are making a hardware that complement to that. Uh, also, they're, uh, they have a lot better position now to compete with uh, the large players that were catering to this market. Uh, you know, we got, over the years, we've used uh, Skype for Business a lot in video conferencing. We've used um, uh, uh, Web2Meetings and, uh, and Citrix Solutions. So they're well positioned to uh, to cater to the, the space now with all the funding that they have. So I think on multiple levels, uh, Eric and his team are going to be able to uh, make big waves in the industry. Absolutely. And I, I should mention the fact that we use Zoom. We use Zoom to record this. Yeah. Um, they're, they're not a sponsor. It's, it's, we, we pay for a license. Um, we also have, have migrated over to Zoom for our webinars, uh, which I have found to be a much better uh, user experience from, from the person doing the webinar, honestly. Um, and maybe that some of that is, is my own comfort level with Zoom. We've been using them for about two years now for, for, AV, for AV Nation in general. Um, but we, we recently, I think the webinar we did in, in March uh, was the first one we did with Zoom and relatively pleased with that. So, but it's a license, they're not a sponsor or anything like that, we, we pay for it. So, uh, next story comes to us from our friends at, at Commercial Integrator. Uh, the, the, the most avid Boston Bruins fan that I know, Craig McCormick, uh, talked with Engolf de Young from Gencom about their succession plan. Uh, Engolf laid out a number of steps, including, a, including the, the step to start early. In fact, de Young has already has his successor in place eight years before he plans to leave. Eight years. Uh, yeah. Adrian, I'm going to start with you on this. What makes a great succession plan? Uh, I, I think what makes a great succession plan is an intentional succession plan. I loved this article. Uh, when I thought about it, I was like, huh, he's been thinking about this guy's departure since my son was born. And that feels like an eternity to me. And really, I don't think there's a good way to accidentally have, you know, organizational change. If you're not planning for it, you have no idea what can go wrong. And that surprise can, can crush any momentum you might have in the moment, especially when it comes to senior leaders like the one in the article. Yeah. Uh, Ed, who should be involved? Um, obviously, uh, Ingolf, being the, the head of, of GenCom, certainly he should have been involved, right? Especially Absolutely. But who else well, is in the organization? I, I think, first of all, him, you know, the, the person that's retiring is the main person uh, that needs to figure out who's going to be taking his place. Um, the next level down is his personal advisors uh, to advise him who would be uh, the best. But then there's always, you know, I've seen, uh, and I, I can't say always uh, because, you know, some people are, uh, some companies are lucky and, and uh, some uh, have those opportunities. In this case, he saw 
a younger gentleman that that is able to take over so and uh, is able to be uh, taught and seasoned to take his place and having eight years is phenomenal right uh, to make that transition so I think it's a group effort uh, but the person retiring and the person involved they mentally should know early on that this is a possibility and they work together you know it the the to to manage such a large company and to take take over there's so many aspects of the business that you know they can't be taught in a classroom and they can't be taught um you know in a step-by-step -step <laughs> user guide or manual that says okay this is how we're going to transition this course you know you can write those things down but there's a lot of little things that are involved uh that that are required um and if you have eight years and you're covering you know all the bases you're 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 doing um you're you're doing so many projects and you're taking care of all the contingencies i think that'll make the successor uh very well seasoned to take over uh the position yeah absolutely um Mr. LeBlanc, I want to end with you on this. Uh, I'm going to ask you a, a question, and then I'll also just kind of have you, have you go a deeper into it because you, you work with Craig. But what, what happens if you don't have a succession plan? Yeah, well, it's, it's actually kind of the reason we wrote this article is because, you know, we cover integration firms, and, and we see that happen quite a bit. I mean, this is an industry where a lot of folks are in that, you know, kind of uh, twilight of their careers. A lot of the folks who are running uh, integration firms and, you know, they're looking for an exit plan, but they kind of start the process of figuring it out a little too late. And it ends up, you know, somebody tries to step away from the business and then you're like, you notice about six months later, 10 months later, like, Hey, why am I getting emails from him again? And, you know, it's because they've come back because they're nervous about what they left behind. In some cases it might be because they, you know, they, handed the reins over to a family member who wasn't quite ready. We see that an awful lot in this industry with a, you know, still relatively small companies, but we also see some great examples. And, um, you know, we thought this was a good opportunity to highlight that and to make the succession plan, the centerpiece of the story. I mean, there's a lot of stuff about the company in there outside of the succession plan, but one key point I think with that story is, um, you know, it's not, it's not like just he's Ingolf's protege. You know, he's working side by side with Ingolf, and he and Ingolf recognized early on that this is a person who has the ability to run a company. But what he's doing is not only you know working with him so that he'll be able to take the reins. He's also leveraging that younger person's expertise and perspective on the market and um, and the business. And he's allowing that person to help in golf, invest in and grow the business during those eight years. And to me, that's, that's the best part of it. I mean, he's, he's grooming somebody to take over, but that person that he's grooming is growing the business along the way. Yeah. And helping make those decisions. I think that's absolutely huge. Uh, Tom, I want to come back on something you said though. You said that there, there are certain companies that are looking for an exit. Are they though? <laughs> the reason I ask, it's somewhat snarky, but somewhat serious. Yeah. More, more folks that I, I'm talking to, especially the, the generation beyond me, right? Now I understand I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer, flat in the middle of, of right smack everybody. 
So we got baby boomers on one side and we got millennials and Gen Z's on the other side of, of this 40 something. Um, the baby boomers, there are, are a number of them uh, that aren't necessarily looking for an exit. They think they are, but I think to your point, they say they're going to step away and then two months later or six months later, you're, you're getting emails back from them. Do you think they're ready to, 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 to set it aside? I was looking at the results of a demographic survey that we did, did for a commercial integrator just this morning. And I was really surprised to see that the second highest decade of age, if that's how you phrase it, um, in the industry, the, the highest decade for folks in the industry is folks in their 50s. The second highest decade for folks in this industry are folks in their 60s. That seems odd, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. But I haven't dug in to realize if that's a reflection of this industry or if it's a reflection of, you know, the U.S. and our current economy and the fact that everybody's kids still live at home and they have to keep paying for them. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure why that is. Yeah, that, that I would I would drill down on those numbers because, yeah, I, and, and that's why I asked the question, right? Because the, the, the follow up, because there are some people who just like in golf, right, are are looking and planning ahead. And there are other people who are holding on probably longer than they should uh, and, and should pass it off to the next generation, whether it's a Gen X or, or whether it's a millennial, it's, it's irrelevant. It, you know, there's some really great folks that are coming up uh, underneath them. And, and there's just some folks that, that may, uh, may, may want to, um, li- you know, watch, uh, watch the interview that Craig did and, and, and listen to some words that Ingolf had. But just to add, I mean, my, my perspective is that I do think that folks are looking for exit plans, particularly if they're at that age or that stage of their career. They might not be looking to retire. They might be looking to step away from, you know, like that, you know, that role of day to day running a company. They might they might be anxious to find out what else is out there. Maybe they want to take a consulting role that will you know, have a different schedule and allow them to you know, control their work life balance a little bit better than they have over maybe the past few decades. But I do think most people do want some sort of an exit plan. Uh, last story here comes to us uh, from SCN and Megan Della. Sony celebrated Earth Day this week with events all across the North America, uh, their North American sites, including e-waste initiatives, eco-fairs, and giving away plants and sustainable uh, presents. Uh, Adam, I want to start with you on this. Perfect. Do end users care about what we used to call green AV? I don't know if they care about green AV, but... Green is what everybody cares about. Okay. Right? Everybody makes a little bit of an effort, whether you go to the grocery store. Everybody, uh, everybody's a strong statement there. I, generally speaking, when, okay. you, when, you, when I'm standing at the grocery store aisle, um, I see you know, people with, uh, with bags of their own, uh, cloth bags and stuff. Not everybody, but you, you see quite a, quite a few people. Maybe, maybe it's not the majority, but, but there are. Um, but there's little efforts, and companies, uh, the likes of Sony, uh, they they make these efforts, you know, mainstream, and they make them known, and it's an inspiration for uh, the rest of us, right? Like we we made an initiative in our company uh, a couple of years ago to, you know, stop printing user guides and brochures and stuff like that because, you know, the cost of 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 printing them, and you see at trade shows especially the garbage can in front of your booth. It's full, full of them, right? So it's being, it's being wasted unnecessarily. Uh, so we make baby steps in, uh, in contributing to Green AV. And 
uh, then you you see as the industry that we're in, we're in, we're predominantly now moving to software, but for the last 20 years, we've been doing hardware. And if I look at all the regulations that we've had to uh, adhere to in, in the last 10, 15, 20 years with uh, directives out of the Europe and CE directives and things like that, they're all toward sustainable energy and uh, conserving resources and banning certain chemical uh, substances that, that are harmful to the environment. So I think we're all headed in the right direction. Uh, now, are we all, or maybe we all should, uh, but it is, it is a step-by-step -step process, I guess. And um, we as a company, uh, you know, trying to make efforts to move into that direction uh, and, and uh, looking at, um, you know, the, the, the word, uh, the biodiversity that I liked on Sony's uh, uh, um, uh, infogram was that, you know, it's, it, gives you, it gives you the mindset of thinking of, you know, how to diversify the efforts uh, in, um, in, in making your green AV possible. Uh, Tom, uh, from your perspective in talking with integrators, how, how can integrators use uh, the sustainability of, of manufacturers, the manufacturers that they use, or maybe even their own firm um, as a lever uh, when, when they're talking, when they're talking with their clients and in sales uh, proposals? Um, I don't, I don't think a lot of companies take that tactic, to be honest with you. And, you know, it's something <laughs> I think, you know, a publication like AV Nation or Commercial Integrator or or SEN, we all probably, you know, around this time of year, around Earth Day, we kind of look for these types of stories. And, um, and we all kind of hope that, you know, companies are really getting behind this concept of, you know, making sure that they're really um, environmental friendly in their practices because they know it's the right thing to do, but then projecting it to the industry because that's the right business move to make and to make sure that, you know, companies and, you know, prospective uh, dealers and customers know that. But the thing is that I don't think that the integrators then in turn do a good job of marketing those efforts of their manufacturing partners to the customers that they then sell their products to. And I think they probably could do a better job, but I wouldn't even start there. If I'm a dealer and I want to think more about you know, selling energy efficiency and selling green technology. I want to take advantage of the fact that so many customers nowadays are much more interested in the analytics related to the systems that they're installing. And they can pay much more attention to, you know, okay, well, how much energy are we wasting? You know, why do we have all these conference rooms? Why, we, why do we have such a large building? Do we need to be burning that many fossil fuels? So I think that there's a, there's a demand for more information related to um, you know, uh, technology being used that relates to both the, the green technology concept, but also to you know, business metrics and, and saving dollars. And I think that's what integrators ought to be tapping into. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Adrian, last question here. Uh, some of our products w are always going to have some sort of environmental impact. I mean, let, let's be frank here. The vast majority of what we're going to see at Infocom 2019 in Orlando are, are versions of computers, right? There are processors involved, there are power supplies. Where does, where does the sustainability part of AV go from here? I, I wish I had a good answer to that. So I'm a, I'm a 
hardcore environmental guy. My passion is the ocean. Um, and I, I think that this is one of the most important things that, that not just AV, but every industry needs to figure out. Um, but if I could, Tim, I'm going to answer the first question that you asked, Ed, which is, do, do the end users care? And I, I think the answer is no, not really. Everyone kind of has to. But deep down, I, I think there are too many other things people are trying to solve right now. And, and I wish that wasn't the case, but it's true. I, I spend a lot of time and a lot of money um, trying to help these causes. And if we could just find one more person in AV to, to do that every year, we would be so much further ahead. But realistically, I don't think the end users are going to care because it doesn't drive analytics, right? No one's looking at their power consumption right now. Not realistically, right? They do it to knock it down to save some bucks, but it's not because they want to save the planet. It's because they want to save the bucks. It's still a green move though. I was going to say, isn't, isn't that kind of the, the interesting, um, the interesting two sides of that coin, right? They, I, I use the phrase green AV because it was a phrase used about five, 10 years ago, but there's two sides to sustainability. There's two sides to environmentalism. One is let's save the planet, but the other side, let's be frank, saves money, right? Ed mentioned the fact that they Absolutely. stopped printing um, user manuals. Well, well, Ed, that's great, you know, for because you're saving trees. But guess what? You're also saving money, right? So, Absolutely. isn't there a way some here, somewhere here that that as an industry we can use the analytics? Say, look, look, we're using this type of amplifier because it uses less power, right? Or we're, we're th th these are the metrics that we're going to show you to show you how to use less power. Or uh, you're to, back to Tom's point uh, about you know analytics and, and um, you know software AV as a service and, and creating um, reports saying, you know what, Mr. and Mrs. Customer, you're not using this conference room nearly as much as you probably need to to get your ROI. That does two things. First of all, it will cut down on their energy consumption, but it will also, as an integrator, you know, put you in the position as a trusted partner because you're bringing back to them information that they need to make a smarter decision the next time they go to do an upgrade. Maybe we just need a marketing effort so that green AV is all about money, but we're really tricking them into saving the planet. <laughs> I like that. All right, guys, <laughs> that, on, on that Earth Day note, uh, thank you all so much uh, for joining us. Uh, Mr. Tom LeBlanc, thank you, sir, as always. Um, how do people find you and or Commercial Integrator? Well, commercialintegrator.com. You can find us on Twitter at comintegrator and uh, look for our newsletters. We, uh, we love to hear from readers, so let us know what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And you'll, most of the time you'll hear from Tom in those newsletters because I get those too. Uh, Ed, thank you, sir, so much. Uh, how do people find you or Avonview? Thanks a lot for having me. Avonview.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter at C, And my email is pretty simple, ed at avonview.com if you need to contact me directly. All right, very good. And Adrian Doty from Nureva, thank you, sir. Thank you. You can find us uh, on the internet at Nareva.com, on Twitter at Nareva Inc. And if you're headed to Infocom, you can find us at booth 4467. All right, very good. Yeah, we'll be there as well. I, I, I didn't mention this at the beginning, mainly because I, I'm not a big fan of, of celebrating numbers, but this one is, 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 a, is a milestone. How about this? This was our 400th episode. Uh, so thank you so much for, for, for coming on for, for this one. Uh, that just means I've been doing this 400 times. <laughs> um, but thank you uh, our audience for, for sticking with us and, and continuing to listen all, all 400 so we appreciate it uh, for me uh, don't follow me on, on, on the Twitters because at this point I'm just hoping the Blues don't get knocked out by Dallas um, but go by the website if you would please avnation.tv that's avnation.tv there you can find our supporter section these are the folks who help us financially and help us bring you 
AV Week and Resi Week and Infocom 2019 coverage coming up in about 40 days. Uh, as, as much as that doesn't seem possible, it is. Uh, speaking of Infocom, make sure you uh, register for our annual uh, Aviation uh, Tweet Up. Happens June 12th from 4 to 6 p.m. sponsored by Starin and Infocom. Our next webinar uh, happens May 22nd, uh, talking about all everything you need to know about the specs of AV over IP. So that's all for us. Uh, all that and more at avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week. Thank you.